Well, good morning. It's uh, good to be with all of you this morning, and um, it's a it's a privilege, it's an honor, and it's something uh, that I don't take uh, that I don't take lightly. I've been praying for this morning that the Lord would um, just show me what to preach and that He would prepare me uh, to preach. But I've also been praying for all of you that the Lord would prepare um, all of our hearts together just to receive what He wants us uh, to receive this morning. So in saying that, if you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26, and we'll just read a few verses. Matthew 26, and we'll start at verse 14. It says, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went out unto the chief priests, and said unto them, What will ye give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you one more time this morning, Lord, we just want to thank you for this time that you've given us to meet together, to worship you in song, um, in our giving, in prayer. And now, Lord, um, through the preaching of your word, and I pray, Lord, that we would honor you in how we receive what your Holy Spirit, Lord, guides us and leads us and directs us to do. And I pray that you would work in a great way in Jesus' name. Amen. As we think about this passage and what um, these few verses mean, I wonder for you and I what it will take for us to forsake Jesus. What will it take for us to betray Jesus, for us to flee from the things of Jesus. And I ask those questions because in this chapter that we read these three verses from, the Bible takes us on a nail-biting account of the crime of all crimes. It's a story of betrayal. It's a story of murder. But unfortunately, it's a story that you and I can relate to this morning. See, because throughout the course of Jesus' trial and arrest, we get a vivid glimpse into the lives, into the attitudes, and into the commitment of the disciples. We get to watch this painting of a horrendous portrait, one that displays human nature so clearly. We get to watch as our own unfaithful our own sinful desires get dragged onto the center of the stage for all the world to see. But I bring it up this morning because more importantly, it gets dragged onto this stage for you and I to learn from it. See, these were the people that were closest to Jesus. These were the people that were committed to Him above all else. They were people that would be with Jesus. Till the very end or so, we thought. It's at this point in these few verses that Jesus' Jesus's ministry on earth was coming to the very climax. It was coming to this crucial point of Him fulfilling the will of His Father. Jesus, He came to this world for a world-changing mission. 
and that mission, it was about to be accomplished. It had all come to this, but it was at this point when it was needed most that the lack of devotion and loyalty from the disciples begins to become unsettling. When things get serious, when accusations get flung, when people begin to criticize and accuse and oppose to those, to have those that you've invested your life into, to have those that you would confide in, to have those people support you should not be too much to ask. That's what friends are for, we would say. But, but not this time. Not in this scenario. Loyalty, when it was needed most, was not something that the disciples cared to offer the one that had already offered them so much. See, in the few verses before what we read, we see that Jesus was there and he was, he was visiting the home of Simon, a leper in Bethany. And while he was there, a woman shows up. And you know the story, she shows up with a box made of alabaster. And inside this box was ointment. It was expensive. It was extravagant. It was costly. It was of great value and everything was just fine. But it was what took place in the next few moments that troubled the disciples. The disciples couldn't tolerate what she did because she began to pour that ointment on the head of Jesus while he was having a meal with Simon there in his home. The disciples, they were quick to share what they thought about this situation. And what they thought about it was certainly not what Jesus felt about the situation. They asked her why in the world she would take something so extravagant and waste the ointment. They were furious. They were displeased. They forgot who Jesus Christ was. They forgot what Jesus Christ was worthy of, and they started relying on their own logic. They thought about the monetary value of the ointment, and they considered that it could have been used in much greater ways. They considered what could have been done with the ointment if it was sold and, and not wasted on the head of Jesus. They tried explaining their displeasure to those in that dining room that day. And, and Jesus, he sat there waiting for them to finish, waiting for their explanation to end. And, and as it ended, he confronted them. And what he said, it, it shut them up real quick because he asks them why they were harassing the woman. And he tells them that he was pleased by what she did. And he alludes to the fact that she did it because of his burial to come. Something that the disciples had not yet understood. Something that the disciples could not grasp. But I wonder this morning if you and I have grasped it yet. See, it's happened. But I wonder if we've grasped it. Or if you and I have forgotten who Jesus Christ is. Have you forgotten about his majesty, his glory, his worthiness? Have you started to reason with Jesus? These aren't questions to look past. They're questions to evaluate 
your life according to? Has your logic been showing you that Jesus is not worth the ointment? Have you tried to fit Jesus into a box? A box in your mind that perhaps has no space for precious ointment. A box that perhaps has no need for that ointment. The disciples, they got too familiar with Jesus. And is that where you and I are this morning? They forgot who Jesus Christ was. He's the Son of God. And He's worthy of so much more than precious ointment. Is your thinking like the disciples was at Simon the leper's house that night? You're holding back from giving Jesus yourself, your life, your time, your money, your efforts, your talents, because it just seems like He's not worth it. You're looking at what you've been blessed with, and you reason Jesus away, because you think it could be worth so much more if you use it towards something else. Your time, it could be better spent with friends, than with Christ. Your talents, it could be better used at work than for the work of Christ. Your money could be better spent investing in something earthly than in anything eternal, or so we think. Is that where you are? Is that where I am? And if it is, and if you can be honest with yourself as you evaluate your life, I say this morning that it's time to stop that line of thinking. It's time to forget that notion. It's time to stop thinking that Jesus is not worth it. Let's stop with the thinking that everything that Jesus has blessed us with could be better used somewhere else because it can't be. It can't be used somewhere else for something else and yield more profitable results. The disciples couldn't understand why, G, uh, why the lady, the woman, would take something so precious and use it on Jesus. And before you and I scorn at their lack of sense, come to the realization that you and I do the same thing day in and day out in far greater ways. We reason away serving God, and we reason away giving to God, and we reason away just about everything that we can think of because we choose to focus on our own logic, on our own mind, and not the worthiness of the Son of God. So don't do it. Don't fall into the rut. Don't give in to your own logic. There's nothing like using that which is precious to you on Jesus Christ. Jesus gave you eternal life. Would you not give anything back to Him? See, He died for you. Would we not simply live for Him while we can? Nothing is too precious for Jesus. And so don't fall in to that rut, that line of thinking. But as we go on in this chapter, what happens next is obnoxiously eye-opening. In fact, it's just heartbreaking the more you meditate on it. Look at verses 14 to 16 with me. We read it, but let's read it again. It says, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will he give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. 
And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray. Judas, he was one of them. He was one. He was a part of the group that we described earlier. A people who were supposed to be close to Jesus Christ. A people whom Christ invested his own life into. Jesus, the Son of God, he chose 12 people. And Judas was one of them. He walked, he talked, he ate, he slept, and and he learned with Jesus. It was the honor of all honors. See, Judas makes his way, as we read in these verses, to these already furious and curious chief priests who were trying to arrest and kill Jesus. And no, no, he doesn't go there to try and defend Jesus. He doesn't go to try and help Jesus. He doesn't go to try and convince them that their accusations about Jesus aren't true. He does this for himself. See, those people, they wanted Jesus dead. And Judas was close enough to Jesus to make that happen. He was close enough to make that possible. And so he asked the chief priests how much they would give him for doing that. As you think about this as not just a story, but something that happened behind the back of the one that you love and serve, perhaps it strikes you as it it strikes me, unfathomable, unbelievable. How could Judas do this to Jesus Christ, the one that gave him so much? Using the trust of another for your own personal gain? Using the intimacy with the Son of God to fill your own pockets? Really, Judas? They talked amongst themselves in that room and they signed the contract. Judas would give them Jesus and they would give him 30 pieces of silver. And with that signature, Judas became a partner in the crime of all crimes. Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He made those who hated Jesus so very happy that day. They were giving them He was giving them what they wanted. But oh, how he made his Jesus feel. The word covenanted used in verse 15, it literally means to place in the balances and to weigh. And Judas literally weighed up what Jesus was worth to him. And 30 pieces of silver seemed to be worth it. 30 pieces of silver? 30 pieces of silver, it's what the market value for a slave was back in that day. And that's what Judas and the Sanhedrin valued the Son of God as. The one who healed their sick and their blind and their lame. Their demon-possessed, the one who raised their dead, the one who fed their multitudes, Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. But to Judas, to Judas it was worth it. 
is it worth it to you? You and I, we've been given the honor of all honors. It's vast. It's an unfathomable honor. It's more than even the phrase, a privilege of a lifetime, could ever encompass in its meaning. We get to know Jesus Christ. He died to make that possible. We get to be loved by Jesus Christ. He died to show us that love. And yes, the disciples, they got to do so much with Jesus, but, but we also get to know Him. We get to talk to Him. We get to be loved by Him. We get to hear from Him. We get to learn from Him. Christ, He's done so much for you and for me. Remember what John said as he penned the very last words of his book? He said that even the world itself could not contain the books that could be written about the things that Jesus has done. He saved us. He's made a way to the Father. And that's all just the beginning. Those of you who have been saved will know that He's done so much more than just that for you and for me. What marvelous grace that the Son of God would die for this sin-sick world. We know this. You're nodding your heads. We believe this. We understand this. But yet, you and I, we make our merry way down to the chief priests, to the Pharisees in our own life, and we make our way down to these things, these places, these people, these opportunities, these experiences that want us to trade Jesus in. How could Judas's behavior disgust us when you and I constantly do the same thing. We take Jesus and, and we determine His worth. See, in the study of microeconomic theory, opportunity cost is a term that was coined by the economist Frederick von Weiser. And it is defined as the loss of potential gain from other alternatives when one alternative is chosen. It's used in business and it's used in government in the, in the creation and the evaluation of monetary fiscal policies. And it plays a part in simply ensuring that scarce resources are used effectively and are used in opportunities that will yield the best and the most profitable results while foregoing opportunities that won't yield as profitable results. And while it's an economic theory, it's a principle that you and I, we subconsciously use in our family and in our personal decisions as well. But where we fall into trouble is far too often we employ that theory in our Christian life. And we get it all wrong while we're at it. We weigh our options. What will yield the best results in our logic, in our mind, and in our human mind of defective logic, we deem that using the resources that we've been blessed with, the time, the effort, the money, the talent, and everything else, we deem that using that for Christ is just not worth it. Judas did this. He made a covenant with the Sanhedrin. He weighed his, oppor uh, he weighed his opportunities. He weighed his options. Jesus and my loyalty to Him or 30 
pieces of silver. He weighed his cost. He weighed the appearance of benefits. And he chose the silver. He traded Jesus in. He chose money over Jesus. And and using this theory of opportunity cost, it just never works when it comes to Jesus. There's no need for it. He always yields the best results. Judas chose, and Judas chose wrong. Uh, But as much as we can evaluate the choice Judas had, you and I, we have that same choice. Would you trade Jesus in for that overtime shift? Is the money from that more important than being at church? Would you trade Jesus in for an extra hour of sleep in the morning? Is that sleep more important than your walk with God, than your prayer time with the Lord? Would you trade Jesus in for some wrong and some detrimental friendships? Are those friendships and maintaining those friendships more important to you than pleasing the Lord? Would you trade Jesus in for a moment of quenching a sinful desire? Would you trade Jesus in and skip church for an extra hour in front of the television? Because if the answer is yes to any of those questions, or perhaps any of the questions the Holy Spirit is asking you this morning, you're trading Jesus in. It's not 30 pieces of silver, it's sleep, it's money, it's entertainment. It's a friend, but it's no different to what Jesus did. Judas, he did it once, and the result was Jesus' death. But you and I, we do it day in and day out, and we choose the temporal over Christ because we believe that it will satisfy us in a way that we think Christ will never be able to satisfy us. But nothing is further from the truth. Satan, he would love for us to fall into that thinking that Jesus Christ can't satisfy me and And that Jesus Christ can't satisfy you because Judas fell for it. And it had unimaginable consequences. Look with me in your Bible at Matthew 27 and verses 3 to 5. Matthew chapter 27 and verses 3 to 5. It says this, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself. And brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple, and departed, and went, and hanged himself. Is that what satisfaction looks like? Is that what a good trade-in ends with? Things they didn't span out to be as Judas hoped for them to be. It didn't turn out to be as Judas expected for them to be. See, several of the other disciples by this point, they too had now forsaken Jesus in this time of need. Loyalty when it was needed most, was not their strong suit. 
And here we catch a glimpse of this story as Judas was standing in the shadows of Caiaphas' courtroom, watching the Jesus he betrayed stand on trial. The outcome of this informal but tense session was a strong decision. It was a decision to kill Jesus. They met again the next morning for nothing more than a formality. Their decision didn't change. Jesus was to die. And so they tied Jesus up and they led him to Pilate. Judas, he couldn't take it anymore. He couldn't handle seeing the Jesus that he betrayed being abused and sentenced before his very eyes. He couldn't bear the sight of Jesus being escorted away in bounds. It just wasn't what he thought would happen. He never thought that it would go this far. Perhaps he thought that Jesus could get himself out of this situation. The satisfaction Judas thought the 30 pieces of silver would bring was nowhere to be found. Judas repented, and and that word repented in our passage, it comes from the Greek word meta melamini, which literally means to regret. Judas, he had this overwhelming sense of regret. He didn't know what to do with this sense of regret, and so he went back to these chief priests that he was running to just a few days ago, and, and the elders, and he tried to give back these 30 pieces of silver. He didn't see a need for it anymore. He didn't benefit from it. He didn't benefit from the silver anymore. See, that silver, it already had scorched his hands. It scorched his pockets. It burned a flame in his guilty conscience. And he just did not know what else to do. Judas, he did not get a reaction of comfort from these chief priests, from these elders. They basically told him that this was his problem and this was not their problem and just to go away. And so they sent Judas on his way. What was this man to do with himself? What would you do with yourself? Judas, he threw that silver on the ground in the temple and he ran out and he left the temple. He got a rope found a tree, and he ended his own life. A good trade? Satisfaction? Trading Jesus in for that which is temporal is never satisfying. It's never a good trade. I wonder what you and I are trading Jesus in. Think about your life. What do you deem to be more important than Jesus? What are you investing more of your life into, your time, your effort, your talents, more than your walk with God? What is your 30 pieces of silver? Matthew 6 and verse 24, you know the verse. It says, no man can serve two masters, for he, either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. No man can serve God and mammon. 
you can't hold on to God and everything else. It's always a trade, but don't trade Jesus in. Whatever else consumes you, whatever else takes up your time, give it up because it will never satisfy like Jesus can satisfy. It'll lead you to a rope and to a tree, and maybe not literally, but spiritually it will. And to those of you that have never ever chosen Jesus over your self-efforts, over your religion, over your attempting to get to heaven, it will lead you to the second death that the Bible talks about. To those of you that have never met Jesus and think that your self-efforts and your religion and everything else that we try to think is good on this earth will get you to a place you want to be once you die. It won't. It's never a good trade. It'll always lead to death, my friend. And that's why Jesus Christ came. That's why He lived that perfectly sinless life that we've been talking about. And that's why He was betrayed. For the greater good of going to that cross and dying on that tree so that you could know Him. So that you could be saved by Him so that you wouldn't have to face eternal death one day. He loved us. Jesus loved us. And He proved it for us in the very next chapter. We forsake Him and and we run from Him. But let's love Him back. He's worth giving our life to. And so what is your 30 pieces? of silver. Have you given Satan the paintbrush of your life to paint that horrendous picture? Or will you decide that it's time to forsake and abandon what you left Jesus for? It's time to run back to Him. It's time to run back to your first love. Let's all stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed at this time. As the piano begins to play this morning, I wonder if we put aside our judgment of the person sitting next to us, the judgment of the person that we're so busy criticizing, and if we've just put that spotlight of our own mind onto our own heart and evaluated our own lives this morning. And I wonder if there's someone here this morning as we evaluate our own lives that has never, ever chosen Jesus over yourself. You've tried living this life in your own effort. And you've not even thought about Jesus and and His desire to save you. See, you can't run back to someone if you were never with them. And, And if there's one here today who has never accepted Christ, never accepted that free gift of salvation, the one that died to save you. If you would like to know how you could know for sure that Jesus is your Savior and that heaven is your home, there's nobody looking around, everyone's got their eyes closed and their head bowed. But I wonder if you'd raise your hand.
if you're sick and tired of yourself and if you're ready to trust Jesus. With an uplifted hand, you'd show us. Christian, have you traded Jesus in? Have you deemed the silver, the wealth, and the pleasure of this world to be more valuable? Jesus, He's worth giving your life to. He's worth everything you can offer Him and more. And so it's time, Christian, to go back. Spend a few moments in praying to that Son of God, Jesus Christ. He's longing to hear from you. He's waiting for you with open arms, and if you desire, you can make your chair your altar. You can make a place your altar this morning and settle things with the Lord.